All right, so um, I want to uh, tell you about this show that we used to watch. Uh, maybe you've seen it. I don't think it comes on anymore. But it's called The Biggest Loser. Anybody ever saw The Biggest Loser? Have you ever seen that show before? Crystal and I love The Biggest Loser. And if you don't know anything about it, here's the deal. These, these people would go to this farm. This, when they say farm, I mean, it was like they were living in a mansion farm. And they would have personal trainers. They would get a personal diet. And the person who lost the most weight was The Biggest Loser. Now, some have had great success stories and some have gone through, done well, and regress back. But it was always really interesting because the, f- the focus of it was always a person's health. It was never a person's weight and had this weird deal with body fat percentage and stuff. And so, but it was kind of a cool. So I want to take you through my personal biggest loser journey. All right. So my journey started weirdly when Crystal and I got married. Now, Crystal and I got married. I was working uh, a, a it felt like a thousand hours a week, and I was running like five to seven miles every day. Now, this was back before you knew that was really bad for you, that you should take days off. I didn't know that. So four or five days a week, I was running five to seven miles every day. I worked, I ran, I worked, I ran. That was my life. I lost a truckload of weight when we got married, which is not the way it's supposed to work. You get married to gain weight, right? I mean, that's the whole purpose, right? And I didn't even get to do that. And it got, I dropped to 185 pounds. And I got so bad that my grandmother summoned me to her house one day for lunch and put an insane amount of food on the table. And she said, eat it, boy. So I did. And my journey was over. And so I would kind of go on this seesaw battle where I wanted, to, I liked the exercise part, but I didn't like the eating right part, right? I want to lose weight, eat cake. What's wrong with that, right? But that was my plan. And so I went through this whole thing. And then about a year before my dad died, maybe about eight months before, we were, there was, when we were still at CCF at West Georgia, we were, there were a bunch of college students at the house, and we were looking through pictures, and there, this picture of me came up. And it was a picture of me from this, we had gone to Hilton Head, uh, uh, Crystal and I, the two gals that worked for me, and to the youth convention, and uh, we kind of done a display booth there. And I pulled this picture out and walked out, and I said, why didn't y'all tell me I look like this? And they all looked at me like, like what? And I said, never and never again. And so I started exercising like crazy, and I kind of ate a little better, but I was still struggling. And then I came up, well, actually, I was in the gym of all places, and I heard this trainer talking about, forget all the fad diets, here's what you need to do. So I listened to him, and I said, man, I can do that, but I'm going to put a twist on it. So I call it the Aiken Plan. And the Aiken Plan is going to start again in the morning because I stepped on the scales Monday and so it starts all over on Monday. So I did the Aiken plan, which basically meant I ate my three meals. I, I quit. I didn't eat in between meals. And I couldn't eat three hours before I go to bed. But one day a week, I got to eat whatever I wanted. There were no rules one day a week. And I lived for, that was Friday for me. And I lived for Friday. And the people at the bakery, they lived for me to live for Friday. Because <laughs> I went up there and spent some money on Friday. And I ate everything until I got tired of doing that. And I lost 50 pounds. And I don't know how long it took, but I dropped 50 pounds. 
And shortly after my dad passed away, um, I kind of got to a point where I said, you know, I've worked really hard and I'm here. I don't know if I want to work any harder. And so I quit working hard. And life gets in the way and do all this stuff. And, you know, so my, I kind of was doing this on a seesaw. Then I moved to Elberton. And I had been doing, I'd done pretty good up until then. And I was sitting in a waiting room in a hospital with this lady, a sweet lady named Jean Daniels. And I ended up doing her funeral and her husband's funeral. Um, but her husband was having a procedure. And I was sitting across from her. And Jean looked at me. And I'd been there about a year. He said, boy, you've gotten fat. <laughs> now, when an older lady says that, there's nothing you can say to like someone of your friends. You can go, let me tell you something about that. Now, the thing is, everyone was laughing except for me. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, Jean Daniels called me fat. She didn't. I said, there's witnesses you can call. And so then I went on Biggest Loser Journey number 10 or whatever I was at that point in time. So a friend of mine, we decided we were going to get up at 5.30 every morning. And so we could be done by 6.30 at home and ready to go. We got up at 5.30 every morning. We went to the gym. And that was really good for about two months. And then we lived for the text message. I'm not going today. <laughs> we lived for that. Because that meant when Lucas sent me a text that I'm not going, it meant I didn't have to go. And I just tur you know, I'd turn the alarm off and I had another alarm set and I would just sleep till that alarm went off. I did that for a while, but then that didn't really go well. And kind of, so I went through these, you know, all these things again. And then Alec and Haley got married and I went on my, on my next journey and dropped a lot of weight. Don't know how much I dropped because honestly, I only step on scales like once a year. And that's like when, the doc, when I have to go and a doctor or somebody says, step on the scales. Monday, I found out how much I weigh. Monday, we're going to start fixing that because I didn't like that number I saw. In fact, I tried to lower it, and they're like, no, it's this. <laughs> we live in a culture that is absolutely obsessed with what we look like. And we're obsessed with weight. And, and, I, think we're and I think it's okay to care. In fact, I think we should care. But I think we have to figure the why out. And we have to understand it's not, we, we're really concerned about our physical well-being. But what about your spiritual your emotional well-being, because they all fit together. And so I think the important thing is not, so, uh, is not that we shouldn't. So if you're going, well, Jay said we don't have to do that. That's not what I'm saying. I think, we should, I think God gave you one body. We ought to take care of it. Whatever that is between you and the Lord is great. However you do it, that's fine. And it's not, any, it's not my business or anyone else's business. Now, if you have a spouse, it's his or her business. But everyone else, you know, doesn't... But we should take care of ourselves emotionally. We should take care of ourselves spiritually. But we need to understand the why. And so as we kind of continue these 316s, today we're going to answer the why question. Why should we take care of ourselves physically, spiritually, and emotionally? Why does it matter? Well, I mean, why is it so important? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And before we get there, let me kind of, kind of give you some background, okay? So Paul wrote these two letters the first, first and second Corinthians, these letters to the church in Corinth, because, man, they were having a truckload of problems, more than we have time to go over today. But let me just give you a few. Sexual immorality was rampant among their church leaders. 
um, they were suing one another in court. Their, their worship had become a disorder and mass confusion and prideful arrogance had kind of seeped in and it was all around uh, gifts of the Spirit, specific, specifically speaking in tongues. So I'm going to give you the biblical speaking in tongues things right now. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just, just up front. The translation of the word tongues is language. That's what it is. It is the supernatural ability to speak a foreign language with no training. That's what happened at Pentecost. Disciples all of a sudden could speak languages that they'd never been trained for. That's what that means, okay? And, and if you want to talk about that, that's fine, but that's biblical, okay? They were misusing the Lord's Supper, um, and then they kind of were drawing battle lines. So they had all these groups going on. So they have like groups. By, so in, in our culture, it'd be like this. You and your Sunday school class, or you and your small group, or you and your Bible study, y'all are together and you're against everybody else. If you're not a part of that group, you don't care about anybody else. That's what was going on in the church in Corinth. And there was, a, like I said, a truckload of other things. And so Paul... In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, after he goes through all this stuff, he gives them the why it matters. Why how you act matters. Why how you live matters. Why what you do matters. And he says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? This is the why question. If you want to know the answer to why, why should I care about myself? Why should I take care of myself? Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Why should I do that? And, and here's why. And this is why we're, because you are a temple. You're a temple. Now, that's not what we think of. We think of cathedrals and buildings as temples and cool stuff. So let me kind of take you backwards in time. Back in the day, in the time of Moses, uh, the Israelites were traveling through the desert, and they had what was known as a tabernacle. The tabernacle was this tent, and every time they moved, they would have to break it down and set it back up again. The tabernacle was the place that they went to worship God. The tabernacle was their place where God was present in them and with them. They had to go to a tabernacle to be with God. That's the way it worked. David, and that lasted all the way through the, the reign of, of King Saul, and the reign of King David. It was David who decided God deserved a building, a permanent dwelling, if you will. I think those are actually his words, a permanent dwelling. And so David decided that, that God needed a temple. And David designed the temple. But God didn't allow him to build the temple. Solomon, his son, built the temple. And so I always think we associate Solomon with the temple, but you need to understand it and you need to know that a warrior king designed the place where God was worshipped. And I think there's some, something to that, and maybe we'll dive into that one of these days. And so Solomon built the temple. He spared no expense. It was, at that time, considered to be the most extravagant piece of architecture ever built for its time. And for hundreds of years after, it was over. The problem was, and it stood for 400 years, the problem was the Israelites would neglect God and they were neglecting his temple. So after 400 years, it was destroyed by the Babylonians. 71 years after that, the Persians allowed 
Nehemiah and a group to go begin to go back and rebuild the temple. And it stood for another 400 years. And then the Romans came in. And the Romans ransacked the temple. So in Israel's history, so in the people that Paul's talking to, they understood that there was a time where God, would, the, the temple was a place that was mobile, and you, and you carried it from place to place, and that was a place you worshiped God. And then a building was built, and that was a place you worshiped God. And what Paul is telling us is it's not a tent, it's not a building. You are a temple. You are a place of worship. Why should I take care of myself? Why physically, spiritually, emotionally? Because I am a place of worship. You are a place of worship. God is not, it's not about a building. Because you can worship God anywhere. This has been quite the stressful morning. I'm just going to tell you. Okay? I, I, I can't even begin to tell you all the things that have gone wrong since 8.20 this morning. And as a matter of fact, I was kind of wondering, for a while there, I was kind of wondering if we were going to make it today. You know what? We'd have made it. If we had to go in the parking lot, we would have made it. If we had to go out to the property, we would have made it. Because this is just a building. And so when I, I grew up, you know, I got in trouble. I learned when I was little that I was a temple. And I was a smart mouth. And so... My mom and dad, we, you know, you know what kids do in church? If you don't, parents, they run and they play, all right? Now, it does, it's never bothered me, never will bother me. Kids are kids, and I love kids being kids. Kids don't bother me, ever. Crying babies don't bother me. They just don't. Crying adults, that's eh, a different story. Not crying, you know what I mean. So anyway, so I got in trouble one day for running in church. And my dad said, this is God's house. And I said, I thought I was God's house. And when he was finished spanking me, I learned that yes, I'm God's house, but no, I shouldn't say that to my dad in that tone and in that way. All right? Here's the thing. You are God's house. This is a building. You are God's house. If you're a Christian, you're God's house. Now, here's the tough part. If you're not, you're not. And that's the tough part. In a society that's inclusive and we shouldn't, we've got to include everybody, I'm telling you that you are a temple if you're a child of God. And if you're not, you're not. But you can be a temple if you just give your life to Jesus. That's how it works. Paul, David says it this way in the 150th Psalm, that everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because that's what happens in the temple. And because you're a temple, I'm a temple, you are the house of God. I am the house of God. And so when Jesus comes along and says that we are the church, it makes so much sense when you're saying the reason we're the church is because we are a collection of temples that gather together. To worship God. It's the why question. Why, is it, why does it matter? Why do I matter? Because I'm a temple. Why should I take care of myself? Because I'm a temple. Why should I make sure that I'm okay spiritually? Because I am a temple. Our created purpose is to know God, to, to worship God. 
And the really crazy thing is, I wonder what it would be like if we were obsessive about our worship as we were about our bodies. P90X, insanity, beach body, gluten-free, fat-free, caffeine-free. I had an argument, well, discussion with my doctor the other day about caffeine-free and fat-free. And here's my position on fat-free. It's really simple. If I'm eating ice cream, give me the fat, load it up. I don't want fat-free ice cream. I want the fat. And if you don't want yours, put yours in mine. I don't eat fat-free peanut butter. Don't believe in it. Jar can sit for a year and I won't touch it. We are obsessed with our bodies, for better or for worse. What if we were obsessed with worship? What if we became obsessed with this idea, you know what, I'm a temple. When I go to work, I'm a house of God. And I'm dealing with my kids, I'm a house of God. And when, I'm, when my spouse and I are not getting along, I'm a house of God. When I go to work, I am a house of God. When I go to the ball field, I am a house of God. Everything that I do is an act of worship because I am a temple. I am a house of God. So when we understand that all scriptures God breathed, we talked about that last week, it means it's God's great idea God's great idea is to understand that you are a temple. Now, the question is, what happens in my temple? Who's in my temple? So Paul says, you're a temple. And the second part, he says this, the Holy Spirit dwells in your temple. Now, once again, this is the tough part. Okay, so let me just say this. This, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you're not, he doesn't. It's as simple as that. I know people, when you talk about this, people, well, it's not very inclusive, it's not very fair. I didn't write the Bible. God did. He used 40 guys to do it. His great idea. His great idea is that he wants us to be a temple. His great idea is his Holy Spirit dwells in his temple. So, once again, we've got to go back and understand how things work. Back in the day, God loved, loved the world so much that he spoke through prophets. He spoke directly in the circumstances. He, he, and because the people were kind of freaked out about worship, he, he provided a temple where, the, where people could come to worship him. But God spoke through prophets. God spoke through kings. God spoke through leaders. But God was involved in everything that happened in humanity. Directly involved. From in the beginning, God created... Until some point in time, as we know as the book of Malachi, but that's just neither here nor there, just for timeline's sake, God was actively involved in our lives, personally. For 400 years, God was absolutely silent. And then Jesus arrived in the world. And so now it wasn't just God who was in speaking through prophets and kings and leaders and people and circumstances. It was God in flesh and blood, Jesus, who walked around like a person. 33 years. And then he went to heaven. And then this happened. 
This is uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and verse 8. It says this. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem. This is before he went to heaven. Until the Father sends you the gift he's promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why is that important? Because that is the promise of God the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three God. Together, but separate. And if you need an explanation, you can find someone way smarter than me. And that person's not on the planet. Not smarter than me that can explain this. There's 100 people here smarter than me. So, God was with, spoke through prophets. God spoke through flesh and blood through Jesus. And now God speaks through the indwelling of his spirit. Which is promised at baptism. And that's the deal. Once again, it's not my idea. This is what the Bible teaches us. That when, when we were baptized into Christ, we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. One time in recorded history, it didn't work that way. And that was when Peter was in a, a, the house of a Roman centurion. And God was trying to communicate to him that he was for everybody. And he gave Peter a visible sign to demonstrate that he was for everybody. And what Peter understood was the gift of the Holy Spirit was received, indwelled Cornelius and his family before baptism. It's the only time. But it was for a purpose and it was for a reason. How can I know God's with me? If I'm a Christian, he's in me. He goes everywhere I go. Can't shut him off. Can't turn him off. You know all those things about the, all, back in the day in camp, they'd have all these skits and you know, God can't go here and God can't go there. There's nowhere you can go that God can't go with you. If you're a Christian, he goes everywhere with you. He goes everywhere. And this is a scary part. He's with us all the time, no matter what we say and no matter what we do. Because you're a temple, and I'm a temple. I'm God's house. You're God's house. And in God's house is a place of worship, and in God's house, His Spirit dwells. That's how it works. That's why this 316 is so, so very important. And so also what you have to understand is all these things kind of intersect together. So it's kind of like going through a highway. And if you've ever traveled in Nashville in particular, this is not in downtown Nashville. The most confusing place to drive to me is downtown Nashville. Because there's this one place where these interstates come together, then they just go off in different directions. And if you're not careful... You will be 15 miles into Indiana before you realize you were in Indiana because you weren't paying attention to a sign. It's easy. Not that I've done it. I'm just saying it can happen. That's what I hear anyway. But, but imagine this. So we have John 3.16. God loved the world so much he gave his son. It's the story of the Bible in a verse. And we understand that everything about God's word is God breathed. It's his idea. And then no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter where I go, 
if I'm a child of God, I'm a temple. And it's kind of like all these roads just run together so we can understand the importance of his word, the importance of his son, and the importance of his presence in our life. When God made you a temple, when God made me a temple, he wasn't kidding around. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, we are made in God's image. Psalm 139 14 says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2 10 says, we are God's masterpiece. And the picture's clear. We are valuable to God. Whether you accept him or not, you are valuable to God. It's why Jesus came. It's why we should take care of ourselves. Take care of your body, yeah, but take care of your spirit and take care of your soul. Take care of emotions. It's why it's so important to take care of ourselves. It's why things like anxiety and guilt are so dangerous because they destroy what God loves. And he takes this really seriously. Look at verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, now we're talking about, we're not talking about a building. I'm a temple, right? So you gotta understand that. You're a temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. And so there's a couple things that really understand. Take care of your temple. Take care of other people's temple. Because you're sacred. Another way of saying this. If you're a Christian, you're holy. But you're not holy because you made yourself holy. You're not holy because you can earn it or deserve it. We are holy because God makes us holy. Because a temple is a place of holy worship. And if you're a Christian, you're holy. I don't feel that way. Well, you're holy. Days like this, by about 8.30, I was wondering what kind of temple I was. Or maybe God was trying to tell me something. When it all goes sideways, I'm holy because God makes me holy. I'm holy because his temple is holy. And I am his temple. And you are his temple. And we together are his temple. And we just need to take that seriously. And it's not just about taking care of you. It's about taking care of one another. God's great idea. God's great idea for us is one another. So the question is really simple. Do you see yourself as a temple? If you're a Christian, because you are. Do you see yourself as holy if you're a Christian, because you are? Are you taking care of your temple because you're supposed to? And if that's something you want to be a part of, but that's not your story yet, let's talk about that. Father, we are... um, We're so obsessed with this this body you've given us for better or for worse. We are so obsessed with the wrong things. It's a vanity. It's a pride thing. We understand the why. And the why is real simple. Because you made us to be like you, to fit with you. You made us a temple. Your desires, we become a temple. And when we give our lives to you, we become a temple give our lives to you, a Holy Spirit dwells in us. Lord, I pray for 
every person here who is a child of of the King, that we will take seriously that we are your house. And for anyone who's not, Lord, I pray that they will prayerfully consider their next step of faith. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.